This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com this is the ion travel podcast with cbs news travel editor peter greenberg presented by clear enroll today at clearme.com slash peter and try clear at the busiest airports nationwide hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the ion travel podcast this week from Paris. France is now open to vaccinated American travelers, and I'll talk with Francois Delahaye, the chief operating officer of the Dorchester Group, about how the tourism sector is coping. Everything from staff shortages to changing guest expectations, and in some cases, unrealistic guest demands. Then, there's an airline you probably haven't heard about, but should. It's called French Bee, and they fly to some places you know, like Paris, at great discounted rates. And they also fly to some locations you don't know, like Reunion Island way out in the Indian Ocean. I sat down with Marc Rocher, the airline CEO, for an extended conversation. And then I'll talk about one of my favorite subjects, and perhaps yours as well, food, with Alexandra Lebrano, American expat and author of Hungry for France and his most recent book, My Place at the Table. He's my go-to guy for all things food, and with good reason. First up, a report from France and travel 
with Francois de la Haye. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to your hotel. <laughs> Thank you, Pisa. It's as I walk around Paris and, and, uh, and I take a look, I see a city that's starting to come back, uh, that's open again. Um, you know, it's, it's such a, a, a relief and, and a wonderful, pleasant surprise that we can come back here now. Uh, that, we, that, that, you know, if you're fully vaccinated, you land and you're here. Um, you can go to any restaurant you want to show your proof of vaccination. You, you are free to go. And, and uh, it's, it's been a long time. I, you know, I'm one of those people who has had a love affair with Paris since I came here when I was 12 years old with my parents. And I make it a rule to come back at least once a year. And last year, I got broken. I couldn't come. And so this year, I couldn't wait to come back. And of course, here we are. But are you seeing a return now? Are people starting to come back? Absolutely, Peter. Not only from America, but also from South America and, of course, Europe. Uh, so we are seeing that wave of clients who are in a, in a, in a wish of really having the best time possible, and they take big suites. They came with they're coming with their private plane, and they are big spender, and it's a joy to really see them with that uh, wish of really enjoying the contact with people, the, the shops, the new restaurants in Paris, the new exhibition we are having in Paris. So it's really something great to see that wave of clients coming back. Of course, the last 18 months have not been easy for anybody. It's been a struggle, uh, not just for this hotel, but hotels and restaurants in general. Staffing remains an issue worldwide. I'm sure it's still an issue here. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the the fact of I've been taking care of our employee at 100% for the entire Dorchester collection creates uh, for 18 months uh, 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 a pace of not working for the employee. And they found out that there is a life other than working on weekends, working uh, during the evening, and working in split shift. So they realized that they all want to have their weekend. So it's very challenging right now to keep our employee who have not been working for 18 months and wants to, and they, they have having that wave of clients. So some of them wants a big change of life and they want to go in the middle of the province of France, take care of the sheep or take care of the goats. <laughs> I don't know. But they, some of them want to have a real change of their life. And that's a challenge for us. Well, the pandemic, you know, beware the law of unintended consequences. The pandemic allowed everybody, even you and me, to do a rethink to do a reset, to question our lot in life, if you will, um, our quality of life, our cost of living, where we live, what we do. Is this a job or a passion? And, uh, and in the hospitality industry, it took a big hit. Uh, and I mean, not just hotels, but restaurants, uh, and then all the underlying uh, vendors. Everybody's in the same boat right now. Absolutely. It's difficult. I know. So what's the solution? 
the solution, I think it's uh, not only giving uh, 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 the, the right salary, but it's also to give some respect, to give some training to the people and to give them a hope of growing within the company and moving up in the hierarchy of the company and to take care of them. So it's going to be much more times for us to take care of them uh, and to just to care about our employee. Uh, so I really think that's going to be the solution to take care of our employee even more than what we were doing before. And what that means across the board, whether it's Paris or Peoria, Illinois, better wages, better conditions, uh, better respect as to the profession of the job as opposed to just the occupation. And that's fine for people like us. But sometimes we challenge with guests, guests who uh, are not behaving very well and uh, some employees do not want to be badly treated anymore by those guests. And that's a challenge. And because there was always the, 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 the notion, and you were trained on this notion, that the guest is always right. Absolutely. So true. But the young generation do not accept that bad treatment of people who do have money and behave, behave badly and treat badly the, 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 the employee. And that's, that's a, of a challenge. And we need to be in the middle in order to balance that, in order to satisfy the clients, but to just tell them that there is a red line that must not cross. No matter how much money they have. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's go back to the last 19 months. What are some of the lessons that you learned and applied as a direct result of what you went through. But I think, uh, as you just rightly said before, Peter, uh, we had a reboot. We had a reboot, a rethink of all our life and our business too. And we were questioning when the, we decided uh, not to resign the contract with Alain Ducasse to change and to think about what's the wish of the clients. And I, let me remind everybody that for many, many years you had perhaps his signature restaurant here at this hotel. 21 years. 21 years. Um, and it was an amazing restaurant. It was designed amazingly. The food was presented amazingly. The choices were unbelievable. The ambiance, the whole, it was an experience. And when you walked into the hotel, that restaurant was literally right through the center door of the, of the reception. And absolutely, and it was absolutely a stunning experience for 21 years. And I think 21 years is a great, a great number of years. And I was very proud to be able to work uh, with Mr. Ducasse for those 21 years. And I'm very proud of that. And we succeeded. But clients, our clients needs change. And we need to change. And we had to rethink. And the way we thought, it's all the plates of the gastronomic restaurants. New York, Singapore, London, everywhere, they all look alike with some lines, some dots, some flowers. They're all a little shishi. And when you, as Peter, when you land in Narita, what is the best wish you're having? You want to go to the best sushi bar. You want to have the best Japanese experience. When you land in Paris and you arrived in Charles de Gaulle and you want to have a real French food experience, the only access to typical Escoffier dishes are in the bistro. So we want to have the Plaza Athene to be able to offer a real French experience in the five restaurants, all different, of course, to have a real French with that grandeur of the elegance of the Plaza Athene with French typical dishes from Escoffier, from Vatel. That's the aim. And with just a little butter. 
Well, no, of course we need. No, no, that's very true. We need to be I, careful. I, I, and by the way, the best butter is from is either from Normandy or from Brittany. <laughs> Absolutely, but we need to be careful because our way of thinking and eating is changed, and we need to be careful about our waste. And uh, and we we have with Jean Humbert a, a great way to rethink that. But I'm talking about on the flambage to cut and carve in front of the guests. It's the experience more than on the food, really. And, so it's, yeah. sorry, so it's really what we need to bring. It's the French cuisine, the art de vivre à la française, what we want to bring in that beautiful setting, which is the Plaza Athénée. And of course, in your corner restaurant, I remember from day one, when I, when I used to eat meat, going in there for the uh, steak tartare. Absolutely still there, actually. We yeah. kept it. This is a signature. Still done at the table. Absolutely. <laughs> Too bad I don't eat meat anymore, but I loved it. So you're coming back. You're getting back your employees. You're rethinking their role in life and the way the service is being done in terms of the guests. Are, they, are the guests coming back with different expectations now? Uh, guests love the change. Guests love to... Uh, see that we hear them. They don't want to be dictated to eat this or this. So they love to have those changes. And everyone which uh, has been trying uh, our bistro right now, the Relais Plaza, they will come back. We are refusing business there. It's packed, packed, packed. It's a great success. And this show that guests, they love to be heard. And when, when we did listen to them and we implement with Jean Humbert what they wanted, it's working. My thanks to Francois. Now, you want to go to Paris? You can, starting at about $398 round trip on an airline you've probably never heard about, French B. And they have a fascinating route network for travelers who want to go beyond Paris. I sat down with their CEO, Marc Rocher, for the full story. So let's start with the history of the airline. Because your history goes back to, what, 1999? Yeah, yeah, long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you got in the airline business doing what? I started in uh, the airline industry when I was very young because all my family was working in the airline business. My father was working for Air France, which is a fabulous French airline, and all my brothers and so So all of us are in the airline industry, and I started in the airline industry in a French company named Air Inter. But I, it, I was, remember, yeah. it was a long time ago. I went to UTA, which was flying to San Francisco. Uh, and Tahiti. And Tahiti. I went to Athens. Uh, then I decided to go on my own and working for a French private family, which was Group Dubreuil. This family had a company named Mercury, which was a small one. We were in the years 2001, 2002. Uh, the company that was a purely regional carrier in the French West Indies, Guadeloupe and Martinique, was not in good shape. And uh, Jean-Paul Dubois told me, Mark, can you tell me something about what we can do? And I decided uh, to review the company with really not in good shape. And uh, we start long haul. And that was a success. Long haul from Guadeloupe, Martinique, San Martin to Paris. To Paris. Uh, and we grow the company. We bought some Airbus airplane. And we have been quite successful because the, the customers, this is the most important thing, the customers like Air Carib. But, you know, the airline industry is very conservative. Uh, and uh, when you have an airline uh, on the market, 
doing well for 10 years, 15 years, your costs are going up. Every time I have seen that. So, in so you reach a certain point. Yeah, it's always the same story. Costs are going up, but customer they want to pay less for a better service. So you are cost going up, and the demand from the customer is very important. They want to pay less. So if that's the cycle, it's, why are you in the airline business? Uh, because it's a passionate world. <laughs> you know, there are three types of uh, same activity, I think, for human passionate people. One is the airline industry. The other one is your what you are doing, medias, because something can happen anytime, even uh, just in the night of night Christmas or something like that. Something can happen at 2 uh, a.m. in the morning of uh, Christmas Day. Uh, and last uh, activity is uh, medicine and health uh, related uh, business because uh, people can have an issue with their body, health issue again in the Christmas night. So, uh, this so if you're in the airline business, you're a risk taker. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be a risk taker. You have to be passionate. You have to be ready to take a call at 2 a.m. in the morning because it's a situation which is complex. But I go back to the Richard Branson quote that if you want to be a millionaire, you start with a billion dollars and open I don't an agree. I don't agree. I, I have a lot of uh, respect and inspiration from Richard Branson, but I don't agree. And uh, what we have done with Ercari, what we have done uh, with UTA a long time ago, uh, we, we make serious money. And uh, just to give you a flavor, if I take Air Carib and French be together in uh, 2019, the last good year before the crisis, we were making a, a net return profit about uh, 5 to 6 percent, which are very good figures. But uh, let's come back to the story. Uh, when uh, we, we had that success with Air Carib, we have seen our cost going up, we have seen the passenger demanding for lower price, better quality. And we thought about that and we said the only thing is to start a new airline from a white sheet of paper, totally white sheet of paper, because this industry is very conservative. Uh, if you want to move the things, if you want to change the world, if you want to change the communication to the customer, they are very, very conservative people. So here in uh, French B, we start in uh, 2016, beginning of 2017, totally from scratch. And originally it was going to be French Blue. Yeah, that was the name we chose at the beginning. Uh, we've been uh, not very uh, well advised by our lawyers and so and so because they said, oh, French Blue is a beautiful name. Then came JetBlue. <laughs> so at this time, we were flying to uh, Republica Dominicana. We were flying to uh, Punta Cana, place like this. And JetBlue. We were flying to the beach resorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beach resorts. And the uh, people, lawyers from uh, JetBlue, told us you cannot use the name with Blue, which is, it was a bit bizarre, I have to say, because this means they don't own the name Blue for all the world. Uh, but we decided uh, not to fight because, uh, you know, the U.S. lawyers, French lawyers, uh, Dominican lawyers, it will have cost a huge time, huge time, huge energy and a lot of money. So we put people on the table and we said, let's think about a new name. And then we came back with French B. We checked French B. French B was OK. So now it's the name of the company. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the first time JetBlue will fly into Paris. I will remember that story, and I will see what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't forget? You didn't no, 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 never forget. <laughs> All right, so you started a brand new airline. Yeah. Uh, and what was, the, what was the premise of that airline? What was, that, what was this airline going to be different about? 
the promise of this airline was uh, you are going as a customer to travel in one of the best airplanes, Airbus 350, at the lowest cost we can afford and you can afford, and uh, that will be uh, a very good uh, value for money. We are not going to give you a luxury service. We are not uh, going to, to put into the market a new business class, uh, uh, full flat bed and something like that. I, mean, I remember Freddie Laker, as you remember Freddie yeah. Laker. Yeah. What got Freddie Laker in trouble was when he put a first class section in. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I remember MGM Grand, which is uh, an all first class airline. Yeah. And what got them in trouble? They put a coach section in. Uh, absolutely. So we think, and we are looking at that now in the market, that the growing market of the air travel is really economy. Because it's uh, built around two kinds of customer. One is VFR, visit friends and relative, and tourist people. VFR and tourist people are not exactly the same. It's different behaviors, different uh, uh, demand on pricing, different seasonality. VFR, they want to travel around time of vacation, they want to travel at Christmas, they want very to travel seasonal, in summer, very, very seasonal. seasonal. Tourist people can be a good uh, uh, way of uh, uh, putting all people on board because an aircraft like this needs to fly at least uh, 5,000 hours a year, which means flying every day. 15, 16 hours. So this is a combination of VFR market and tourist market, which are not exactly the same. Now, we all know this. You, you make no money when the plane's on the ground. That's not exactly a surprise to you. <laughs> but you've got to utilize it for routes that make sense. So for my audience, they have no idea about Reunion Island. They have no idea about Paris to Martinique. But if they did find out about it, it might be an opportunity for them to change their travel plans because the, the cost is good. Yes, but uh, it's why we came into uh, thinking about the U.S. market. So why did you think about the, did we think about the U.S. market? It's because of Tahiti. French territories, Guadeloupe, Martinique, Réunion, which are not very well known from by the U.S. customer, Tahiti is well known by the U.S. customer because it's, a, it's like a dream. Flying to Tahiti is a dream for every people. And uh, every people want one time in his life going to Tahiti. So we decided to fly to Tahiti with the Airbus F350, which was a good airplane for this kind of route. Uh, big demand, uh, very uh, focused on long haul. The airplane is very good on long haul flights, but uh, we cannot fly one stop from uh, uh, Paris to Tahiti. It doesn't have the range. No range, it's too too far. And uh, so we had uh, to choose where we can stop. At this time, uh, most of the airline flying Tahiti, I mean Air Tahiti Nui uh, and Air France, they were uh, doing a stop in Los Angeles. And we said, again, because we were a new airline from a white sheet of paper, don't do the same thing than the other ones. If Air France is stopping in Los Angeles, we, we have to think about a new place to stop. And we choose uh, San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco was really a success. And we flew to San Francisco and San Francisco to Tahiti. Uh, then came the crisis. But uh, the crisis was just uh, between commas, uh, a stop for one year and a half. It's time to go back. It's time to fly back. I think uh, the, travel, the lift of a travel ban is a very good opportunity for us and for American travelers. So uh, next week, we are going to fly back to San Francisco, San Francisco to Tahiti. Exactly. So, for example, for an American passenger who wants to go to Tahiti, they just got to get to San Francisco. Yeah. And if they want to go no. to Paris, they no. just got to get to San Francisco. Yeah. 
No. Or New York. Or New York. No. Uh, it's the situation now. But we have decided to go because uh, we have been successful. We think uh, we have a good airplane. We have a good service. We have the right pricing for people, VFR and tourist people. And uh, it's why we decided, okay, we have done a lot of works to be in San Francisco, commercial team, uh, booking centers, uh, everything. And we said, we have to go to another route. And uh, we chose New York, uh, New York Airport. And uh, our intention was to start in 2020. Then came again this uh, <laughs> virus and all the consequences. So we moved the decision to start a new work uh, to Paris early uh, to 2021. 2021, as you know, we were beginning uh, to see the end of a tunnel, people thinking that the crisis will be behind us. We were not seeing uh, an intention from the US administration to leave the travel ban. But we said, that will happen one day. Has so, happen. Yes, has to happen. Uh, so we start in July this year, uh, by uh, July the 14th, uh, the, 14th uh, the Bastille Day, and uh, we launched New York. Um, New York was quite very surprising for us because uh, we could not sell in France because it was impossible with a travel, a travel ban to, to travel from Paris to New York. But US citizens were allowed to travel from New York to Paris. And surprisingly, because we have done a lot of focus, we were very cheap on this market and we wanted to, to, to grow the business, we had uh, almost between 56 and 60% load factor with only one half of the market, huh? not selling in France, just selling in the US. So the problem was, how do you fill the planes on both ends? Yeah, this was a problem, but we, we, we made a bet. We said the administration, the U.S. administration, will open one day, not too far if possible, and then it came. So now, November the 8th, it will be lift. The travel ban is going to open the route. We had already this 60% uh, load factor from the U.S. part of the market. So when uh, we will, uh, and we have already seen that in our booking, when we will open to the French market, French people will travel, and we think we, we are going to be successful. Once the administration announced that November 8th date, how did you see your booking curve go? The booking was like booming. It rocketed. Uh, yeah, yeah, because uh, I think many people have been starved to fly and they, they wanted uh, a lot of things. They wanted to travel again. They wanted to, let's come back to this VFR. They wanted to see their families, their sons. And they didn't want to wait till next summer. They want to go now. No, 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 absolutely. They want to go now. And uh, we had a booming uh, a demand on our uh, booking centers. The booming is very important now for Christmas. Christmas is really going to be uh, high traffic, I think. And also the fact that uh, for many people, I think to travel again is just a way of saying we are free again. It's not only about travel. It's uh, we have been uh, uh, obliged to stay home, uh, very huge restriction on everything. So when uh, the travel ban is lifted, it's not only about air travel. It's uh, we are free again to do what we want to do. So the demand is booming. And it's booming on New York. It's booming on San Francisco. San Francisco to Papiti, we are now selling 80 passengers a day. 80, 80 passengers a day, which is a huge demand. They want to go to 80. So if you want to visit any of the French overseas territories, you're the airline. If you are VFR, tourist, a bit of business, but not that much. 
So if you're a businessman, I can understand you need uh, to travel in, in a full flatbed or something like that. But this is not what we're doing. The good thing for us, for our staff, for our customers, is that the booming traffic is going to be the economy traffic, premium economy. The business traffic is very low now, and many airlines are complaining about that. Big US airlines, Air France is very low in business traffic. And that, I think, will not recover before years. Huh? Two yeah. years, three years minimum. So if you're looking for the recovery in travel, it's being led by the leisure carriers. Leisure traffic, absolutely. And a bit, and a bit of cargo. The belly of this airplane, which is a huge uh, airplane, like uh, 777, 787, this uh, aircraft flying from Paris to New York, for example, can uh, take about 15 tons of cargo in the bellies. And this market is also booming. The leisure traffic is booming, but also the cargo market. And uh, with an airplane... But you didn't start this airline to be in the cargo market. No, 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 no. No, but the bellies is very important. Just yeah. one figure. Yeah. If you look at the total air cargo traffic in the world, by air, not by sea, of course. It's different. But if you look at the total air traffic cargo by air, 80% of the traffic is done by passenger airplane in the bellies. And only 20, in some years, 25% of the total air traffic of cargo is done by specialized cargo airplanes. So the bellies are very important. So you're capable of doing that? Yeah. And we want to do that and because uh, we want to make money at the end of the day. Huh? We are a, a private company. We are owned by a French family. Uh, we have incentivized our people, our staff, uh, to understand that if a, a company is making money, uh, we will uh, return that to them. Just to give you a flavor, uh, in 2019, we said at the end of the year we were profitable. We made serious profit. We said to the staff, very simple, we will divide that uh, profit, total profit, in four shares, 25% each. 25% of the profit will be for the staff, and we turn that money to the staff. 20% will be for the shareholders, because they have taken risk, they have financed the airplane, and so and so. And uh, the two other parts, 50%, will be uh, used into the airline for growing the business, buying new airplanes, investing in new digital system, you know, the commercialization, marketing right. is going to be more and more digital. So we will use 50% of our net profit to invest into the company, one for for you, the staff, one for for the shareholder. But, uh, and that as it is turned working. out, you needed that money to get to weather the storm. Yeah, yeah. The storm, I hope, is behind us. I hope. <laughs> but that was, at least you had the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were very, uh, financially speaking, we were very strong uh, just before the crisis. Uh, 2019 was a very good year. The first two months of 2020, because the crisis in Europe happened in March 2020, the 17th, I remember the... Me too. How do we say, uh, President Macron speaking on the TV, the 17th. But we made in uh, January and February 2020 very, very good months. So the traffic is there. Now, I think the traffic is going to be back, mainly in the leisure market and in the cargo market. One thing is going to be taken into account, we need to protect our environment. And it's very important for us to think about that. Uh, we are not thinking about silly uh, things uh, like uh, 
hydrogen airplanes or so and so. We don't think about that. We think about using the best aircraft uh, for uh, uh, burning fuel. This so alternate fuels. Yeah, uh, not only alternate, also burning fuel at all. Because even when you you burn alternate fuels, let's say bio uh, uh, fuel and so and so, uh, at the end of the day, you produce uh, carbon dioxide. Huh? Uh, <laughs> even if we were biofuel. Uh, but uh, the, the best thing is to think about how can we reduce the burning. And uh, this airplane is quite good. Uh, if you fly to New York, each passenger will burn, let's say, uh, less than uh, 0.8 gallon per 100 miles, which is very low. No, no car is doing that. We are better than any car. Mm. <laughs> we try. <laughs> so now let's talk about pricing. Because once you've figured out your model and you know who your audience is, you still have to price it right. Hmm? So the airline tickets that people can buy today, it's, it's, it's remarkable. We're seeing in the United States airline fares rise at the rate of 3 to 5% a day at a time of the year where it normally isn't, right? Because all the foreigners are now coming to the United States, more Americans are flying. If you look at the total capacity and the numbers of people flying right now in the U.S. domestically, it's only 6% less than 2019, yeah, yeah. which is amazing. And good recovery, yeah. <laughs> yes, but it's more expensive to fly from New York to Chicago than New York to Paris. Yeah, I, I think uh, we are seeing the same thing in Europe. The domestic demand, the, domain, the, the demand for traveling into uh, each country is quite strong. The demand for long haul is a bit weaker, still weaker. Uh, even if traveling to the US, there is a huge demand. Uh, we have decided to keep our pricing very low because we want to incentivize people to come back take again an airplane. You can fly one way in uh, economy, uh, in, in, in coach, you can fly to New York for less than 200 bucks, which is not that uh, huge money. And uh, because we have the best, uh, uh, probably airplane, we have one of the best organization, we are a young airline, we have not that staff of uh, uh, 20 or 30 years of existence, we have a lot of uh, conservative things. We think we are very efficient. This airplane can carry 411 passengers, which is a big airplane. And uh, this is the kind of thing when you can build uh, low fuel burn, you can build a really good pricing. So today we are selling uh, 200 bucks one way in New York, Paris. We will go to 300 probably, but not before next summer. We want people first to come back, travel with French B and then you will be recognized as a good customer to the company. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. My thanks to Mark. And now, it's time to eat with one of the best writers on the subject, Alexandra Lebrano, the author of Hungry for France and My Place at the Table. So in the wake of COVID, has Paris retained its reputation as the best food city in the world? Alexandra thinks he knows the answer.
Alec Lebrano, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Peter. Now, the, the other reason why I call you is because you know everywhere to go, everywhere, everywhere to eat, and, I mean, you are all things Paris to me. Well, um, thank you very much for that. It's a pleasure to be all things Paris. You've come at a great time. The city is buzzing. We After last year, we had two lockdowns. The restaurants were all closed here twice, and we're open up again, and uh, the scene is fantastic in Paris right now. I mean, we're really hungry for Paris. The restaurants are full. People are having a good time. We're going out. I will tell you, I was at the restaurant uh, the other night, full. The restaurant last night, full. Uh, two, uh, for me, two legendary restaurants for different reasons. One restaurant I went, I, I've been going to for like eight years. Nobody knows about it. It's this tucked away little corner off the Champs-Élysées on a little street called General Lanrezac uh, called Lahid. It's a fantastic restaurant. It only has maybe 14 tables in the restaurant. Asian chef, right? Kobayashi. Right. And... I have to make an admission to my audience, and this may be politically incorrect, but I'm going to say it. First, let me give you the background. I haven't had meat for 13 years. I, I'm now a pescatarian for the last 13 years, and proudly so. But once a year, when I'm in Paris, I go to this restaurant, and I, and I break it. I, I, I cheat. And because this guy does the most amazing pan-seared foie gras. Oh, I said it. Uh, <laughs> I did it, I, but I proudly did it, and it's unbelievable. I think cheating every once in a while is a good idea, Peter. <laughs> but I've done it only once a year. I didn't do it last right. year because of the right. pandemic, right. and I didn't order twice this year to so, make up so for it. So it tasted it twice as good. It, oh, it did. <laughs> it did. So that was the first restaurant. The second restaurant was just last night, which is in the Montparnasse area. Oh, my God. What history there? Rotonde. La Rotonde, which is... One of the favorite restaurants of, um, I was actually at La Rotonde with the, the night that the second lockdown ended. Um, it was full. It was a beautiful, a beautiful spring night. The terrace was absolutely stuffed. And lo and behold, who happened to come to dinner that night? Uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and the entire terrace burst into applause because we're grateful to him for having handled this public health crisis uh, with such intelligence and firmness and clarity. We're, and, you know, I mean, France has done a brilliant job. Um, and you're open. And we are open. And, um, you know, if when you go to a restaurant in Paris now, the first thing that happens when you walk through the door is And they, they ask you for your vaccination they, they card. You, and they do. And that's on a public app called Tous Anti-Covid. Um, no, the French have done a brilliant job with this, this challenge. So in your new book, My Place at the Table, I mean, it really takes off from where the other books left off in terms of how, how food has evolved in this gastronomic capital of, of, of the world. Well, I would say, actually, one of the questions people ask me most often is, is Paris still the, the world's best food city? I can't, we can't compare Paris to Mumbai or Tokyo, um, but within the Western world, I'd say that Paris is still the world's best food city, and we've never eaten better in Paris than we do today. And, and I don't want to sound elitist, but I don't think... It, I first came to Paris with my mom and my dad when I was 12 years old. Um, and from that moment till today, I don't think I've ever had a bad meal here. It can happen. <laughs> uh, 
You know, I mean, if you, 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 we all know that if you are hungry and it starts raining and you go into the nearest restaurant to the Eiffel Tower or the Louvre or anything like that, um, you know, you're going to get fleeced. Um, walk a couple of blocks over. I mean, that's a general rule for travel in any big city. Get away from the tourist attractions. Um, but in a general way, I think that Paris, I mean, Paris has um, a new generation of brilliant young chefs have emerged here. Um, well, there's a new chef right here at the Plaza There's, there's a brilliant young chef named Jean Ambert. I was a very controversial and thing that happened here. Alain Ducasse formerly was the, the head chef at the Plaza Athene. Um, Ducasse is a brilliant chef and one of the great gastronomic you know, czars of France. Um, but the hotel decided that it was time to change. And Jean Ambert, who's a great friend of Pharaoh Williams, uh, they, they, they tapped him on the shoulder. They brought him in, and he started off with a legendary uh, Relais Plaza, uh, one of the most beautiful restaurants in the whole world downstairs. It looks like the inside of a 1920s ocean liner. Yeah. Um, and when I went to dinner there a couple and, weeks and, and ago— And by the way, I used to go there for lunch, right? the corner restaurant right. there. When I ate meat, I have to put this in perspective, they did the most amazing uh, steak tartare tableside. It was it was a work of art. Well, that they still do that actually. Um, it's also the best saumonier in the world. But when I went there the other day, Peter, I was curious to see what this young Turk was going to get up to, and it was fascinating because it, he was not going to do you know uh, test tubes and weird stuff like uh, Ferran Adria, the Spanish chef. It was really humble, delicious comfort food. What he understands, because he's very smart, is that what we want to eat is always a reflection of the times that we live in. And we've just been through something, and we're still not out of the woods yet, and we're a little traumatized, so we want comfort food. I think you're right. Uh, you know, people just need their blankie. They need, uh, on every level, they need their blankie in terms of their travel experience, they need their blankie in terms of their accommodations, and they need their blankie in terms of their food experience. Well, I think, you know, I, I can tell you, Peter, I spent a year and a half cooking. Uh, you know, I'm a restaurant guy. I normally go out five nights a week in Paris. But not during the lockdown. Not during the lockdown. Suddenly, boom. Um, so I cycled through the five things that I know how to cook well pretty quickly. <laughs> I've, I've actually turned into a pretty good cook. All of which is to say, though, when I started going out again, what I've discovered, and I'm not the only one, my t relationship with food and my tastes have changed. I don't want fiddly, fussy, chefy, strange food. I want things that taste like what they are. When you mentioned before foie gras, for well, you example. Know, so many chefs, and this is pre-pandemic, so many chefs would overthink the recipe. That's exactly true. Right? They would just, just add more stuff to it, like, stop. You don't have to do it. Or, or you know, I don't necessarily want, um, you know, a Broadway production in the plate. I mean, let, let the fish be fish. Let that beautiful wild piece of, piece of wild salmon be a beautiful piece of wild salmon. I think humility, I think there's a new humility in, in terms of, of French cooking, um, which goes back to why French food is so brilliant. Um, we Many people think French food is too too fussy, too expensive, and, and too rich as cream, butter, all that stuff, which isn't true. It's really, a, it's, a, it's like Japanese food. It's based on the produce, the veneration for great seasonal produce. And I think the, the pendulum on what's happened in the world in terms of French food, we've gone back to valuing that deep simplicity um, 
and away from the fussiness, which now seems like, you know, a very long time ago, because when you, you know, when there are huge jolts in history, like we've just lived through, we're coming out on the other side of something, and our appetite is for things that are healthy, seasonal, simple, and wholesome. And that doesn't mean you can't be adventurous. It doesn't mean you can't, you can't experiment. But at the end of the day, when we're just emerging from this, people just want stuff that they, they know what they're getting. Well, that's just it. I mean, I think that... And also, one of the other reasons that France, uh, what I was saying before, why Paris is still the world's Western world's best food city is... The, the produce here, I mean, go for a walk in a market, you know, at this time of the year. It's mushroom season in Paris. Since you don't eat meat, I wish I could take you out for a mushroom feast. Um, the mushrooms are coming in from every part of the country. They're coming from the Pyrenees and the Alps and everywhere else. It's wild mushroom season. They are magnificent, and people go out to eat mushrooms. Where I was last night, this wonderful restaurant left bank called L'Auberge Bressane. It's a traditional old bistro. They had sep mushrooms. They had girol, which I can't remember. I think morels, five or six different types of mushrooms, um, cooked very simply because you want the pleasure of eating this special rare thing. You know, I read you all the time in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, what do Americans expect in Paris, though? What do they, you know, what are their preconceived notions that have to be disabused? I think that, again, uh, you know, uh, too rich, too fiddly, too fussy, uh, and too expensive. That's what my father always said. Too expensive, too fussy, and too, fi- too fiddly, and then the big bill. Um, it's not too, it's not fussy. I mean, French food is truly not fussy. Um, it's a food of enormous thrift and frugality. Many of the greatest French dishes, like beef bourguignon, beef burgundy, we'd say in English, or blanquette de veau, which is stewed veal with mushrooms, uh, the meats were stewed because they were tough. I mean, you broke down the cartilage through long periods of cooking. It's very thrifty, healthy food. It's uh, the the French. You know, the French are not. There's not an epidemic of obesity in France. You don't see overweight people in France because the food is extremely. See, that's healthy. why I hated the French when I was growing up because <laughs> I couldn't understand how they could eat so well and eat so much and weigh six pounds. Right. It, I couldn't do it. You know, I, I resented it quite frankly. But there's a certain amount of pride in the produce mm. and a certain amount of pride in the seafood. At at La Rotonde last night. I ordered some oysters, not just any oysters, the Guillardot, right? The number three. Those are the Rolls Royce. That's oh, the Rolls Royce my of God. oysters. But God, here's the thing. When you finish the oyster, you turn over the shell, and they have branded the shell with their, with their initial to let you know it's the authentic Guillardot. Well, there is oyster counterfeiting, believe it or not. That's <laughs> are, why they engrave the shells. There really is. Well, you know, if you could palm off... You know, your, your Peter Greenberg oysters on some unsuspecting person. By the way, please understand, everybody listening, if you ever order a Peter Greenberg oyster, <laughs> do not eat it. Go d- directly to the hospital. <laughs> Don't even stop. What first brought you over here? Uh, do I have to tell you that it was the food? <laughs> was it really? No. Well, no. I actually moved over here to work for Fairchild Publications. It was a fashion publishing company. That, those are the guys who women's wear daily women's and wear daily, W. W, all yeah. that stuff. I have no aptitude for that or, or particular interest. And that was my flying carpet to get. I was living in London. That was my flying carpet that got me from London to Paris. And when I was hired for that job, Mr. Fairchild, when he offered me the job, I said, I panicked and I said, Mr. Fairchild, I really don't know anything about fashion. And he said, I could tell that when you walked in here. Um, <laughs> but he still it, offered you the job. But if it doesn't work out, that's easy. I'll fire you. <laughs> but I, I, came, I came here almost 
it was exactly, you know, 35 years ago, because I fell in love with Paris the first time I came as a teenager with my family. Like, you know, I came with my mother and my father, my brothers, my sister. And we'd been all over Europe. We'd spent six weeks here. But when we got to Paris, I was I was just gobsmacked. I mean, the city, the elegance of the daily life here, the food, the smells, the, the markets, the bakery, the cheese shops. I just could not, you know, I, I knew I would have to come back here. I mean, I knew this was where I belonged. I first came to Paris when I was 25, working for Newsweek. Not officially assigned here, but I would come through here on stories. And I didn't totally appreciate it then. You know, everybody talks about, you know, their their early years in Paris. Forget my early years in Paris. It's my later years in Paris that I, that I truly appreciate because I've had the time to put it in perspective and, and give it some context. I mean, because now I can look at a building and I can stare at that building all day because I can appreciate the architecture. Well, it's the day, for me, people often say, why have you stayed 35 years? The food is, the food is spectacular and you have to eat three times a day, but it is the, it is the- Or four. Or four as the case may be. But the, the daily nourishment, the most important nourishment is the elegance and the beauty of this city, which is relentless. And as you just said, Said, I mean, I don't go, you know, walk, I will walk to the post office in the 9th arrondissement where I live. I've done that walk 50 times. Every time, 500 times, every time I go, I notice something I hadn't seen before. Some small detail carved into a facade or a brass balustrade or something. The city is just magnificent. And it's a, it, 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 it feeds you. I mean, it feeds you creatively. It feeds you spiritually. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I've become a Parisian. You know, back in New York during the pandemic, I watched as 1,500 restaurants closed, um, most of which will never reopen. Did that happen here in Paris? Paris, the French government actually, because food is such an a, a important part of French culture, the French government offered a lot of help and protection for the restaurants. I mean, the restaurants were closed, but the, the they were given loans to continue to pay their rent, to keep the bills. They were excused from paying social charges, which are, you know, uh, contributions to Social Security and health insurance and stuff. They've, the government has done everything it possibly can to help the restaurant business, and that's why the restaurant business here has sprung back so quickly. I was in New York this past summer, um, it was still, there were a lot of favorite places that had closed. Oh, me, uh, listen, in my neighborhood, my four favorite restaurants are gone, you know, it's, and, and they're not coming back. Right, right. You know, and, and you would think, at least in the, in the New York example, that, okay, is there a silver lining here? Well, maybe, because if you're an up-and-coming chef, there's so much real estate available to you now with already kitchens already there, blah, blah, blah. But no, that's not happening no. because the landlords aren't lowering the rents. So they're vacant. Well, here, I mean, that's one other thing, big difference between New York and Paris is that Paris is not a financial center to the same degree as, as New York or London or Singapore or Hong Kong. The, the rent pressure uh, has prevented the city from gentrifying in to the same degree that New York has. Um, but I think here, since the uh, second lockdown ended, um, you know, the, the the restaurant scene is sizzling. There are a lot of there, as I mentioned, there are a lot of fantastic young new chefs. I want my favorite new restaurant right now is called Granite. Um, there's a because pre- because this is a, a young chef who understands keep it simple. I mean, really keep it simple. His name is Tom Meyer. He grew up in the Jura, which is in eastern France. There's a brilliant restaurant, new restaurant czar, czar in Paris named Stéphane Manigold. 
He's opening new restaurants. He has a, he's an ability to pick talent. He picked Tom Meyer, uh, who's maybe not even 30, uh, to run this restaurant called Granite, which is in the same space that was formerly occupied by Spring, uh, the restaurant of Daniel, Daniel Rose, uh, the Chicago-born American chef who was, lived in Paris for a long time is, and now in New York City at Le Cuckoo. Um, so Granite is absolutely brilliant. Um, I would send I would send you to the Relais Plaza downstairs here to ta- to taste the wares of Jean Ambeo. I If I f- could get you bundle you onto a plane and get you down to the south of France, I would send you to Mauro Colagreco. It's just opened a new restaurant called Seto. Where? And that's in Roquebrune Cap Martin, which is right next to Monaco, and it's perched on a cliff there and. Um, it's all seafood, and it's one of the oh. best restaurants I've ever been to. In my well, as a pescatarian, I take you up on I that invitation. I think you love it, Peter. Oh, my God. My thanks to Alexander, to Marc Roche, and to Francois Delahaye. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, pull up a chair and log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.